Well, dear friends, go ahead and let's look at Luke chapter 8. We're walking through verses 16 through 18 this morning in the gospel of Luke. Let's read. Jesus says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. I want to encourage you, as we walk through this passage, to reflect upon Christ's instruction here, which is to Take care how you hear. And Jesus begins this passage with a parable. And the parable is covering the topic of the foolishness of hiding light, the foolishness of creating a lamp and and hiding it once it is put together and it is lit and it is displaying light. It's a short parable in verse 16. He says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Everyone listening would have understood this parable. Everyone would have been able to relate to this parable that Jesus is saying. This is a very common parable that Jesus uses, and he uses it for different purposes. Um, And here it's speaking of the light of God and how it is displayed and how it is displayed even within the life of his people. This emphasis here is upon God and the light that he is is shining. And we have to tie this passage to its immediate context. There's a temptation with a passage like this to go and and jump to another passage in the Gospels and to go and run this through um, that lens and interpret it in a different context. But I think it's important for us to look at this through this context here in Luke. And I think especially we need to consider this and interpret it in coming shortly after the parable of the four soils. Remember this in Luke 8 verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, it says this, it says, And when the disciples had asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, if we're honest with this, this is not an easy passage. This is somewhat of a difficult passage to read something like that. I know the first time I read that passage in Luke, I had to take a double take. And this is not the only time in Jesus' ministry that you see him doing something like this. Why would he do this? Why would he not be interested in other people hearing the word of God? Why would he, why would he hide some of this from them? Why would this be hidden so that they were not able to understand? Now, if you're in kind of a cage stage of Calvinism, then this is your verse and you're, you're ready to go. And this makes total sense to you because God is forcing these people not to see so that they will spend eternity in hell. He's, he's causing them to be in this particular way. And if you don't know what cage stage Calvinism is, that is what we call people that have perhaps grown up in a more Arminian church and they've been around Arminian preaching. They've been around preaching that's not emphasizing God's sovereignty. 
And then they come across certain passages of Scripture, perhaps like this one. Or they run across a passage like Romans 9. Or they run across a passage like John chapter 6. And they feel like they have been lied to their entire life. And in some ways they have been lied to, or at least the scriptures have been misrepresented in many ways. And so they begin to build a fury. And everything in their life is suddenly through this new lens of God's sovereignty and through the sovereignty of God in Calvinism. And you can hardly talk to the person for a few minutes before somehow they are talking about the sovereignty of God in salvation. You can hardly open the Bible anywhere and talk about anything. You can hardly talk about anyone making a choice. And they're bringing you to John chapter 6. They're bringing you to Romans chapter 9. And the idea why it's called a cage stage is someone in that situation basically needs to be locked up in a cage for a year. This is not really, but this is just kind of a joke. They need to be locked up in a cage for a year until they get over this and stop making everything about this new idea that they've suddenly become so preoccupied with. But the truth is there's a great many aspects of politics. There's a great many aspects of theology that people can fall into a cage stage with. But when you get out of this cage stage of Calvinism and someone has moved on, and some of you may have never experienced this idea, you're still left with difficulties in this passage. It's not as easy just to say, well, that's just what God chose to do. If Jesus is coming to reveal why, is he concealing himself at this point? Why is he not making himself fully known? Now, as you read the scriptures, as you consider what things say in other passages, as you consider the writings of Paul and writings in the Old Testament as well, you begin to have a better picture. You begin to have a better understanding of what is happening here. And I believe this is a theme. It's a theme that we see kind of in this passage, and it's a theme that we, they're going to see as we go into, into other portions of Jesus's ministry. And that is this idea that the Word of God is, is revealing, all right, and is going to ultimately reveal. And that's an emphasis that Jesus is making here, that the Word of God is going to go forward, and even that which is hiding, hear me here, even in the concealment, even in Jesus here at this time, concealing certain truths to certain people, he is revealing certain things about those people. Because these things are being concealed because God is judging that person. You understand general revelation. You understand that God is revealed in all that he has made. No one can say, I don't have enough evidence. No one can say, I don't have enough proof of God's existence. You're breathing his air. You're eating his food. He has granted you life. We are made even in the image of God. None of us can say we don't have evidence for God. But man, when he continues to walk in his rebellion against God, there comes a point where God just allows him to continue. You know, many people ask this question. It's a very common question that is asked, and it's a difficulty that people run into when they consider missions and how the gospel is going forward. And you run into a reality that if you have a perspective, and your perspective is that everyone has the exact same opportunity to believe upon Jesus as everyone else, then you run into a few little difficulties with that. For instance, there's places where the gospel does not go forward. There's places in the world where there are no churches. Churches have not been planted. That's the reason why we are praying for these unreached people groups, because these are areas where there 
are not churches planted or there is very little light of the gospel being displayed there so people can go through their lives and never hear the gospel. Now that doesn't mean they don't know of God's existence. That doesn't mean that the glories of God aren't displayed in the creation. It doesn't mean they aren't aware of the law of God, but it does mean that they are not hearing the gospel. You run into some conundrums here if you're not understanding the sovereignty of God, if you're not understanding how it is that God is, is working within his creation. Someone will ask a question. They will say something like, well, what about this man? And he's always on an island. What about this man who was on an island somewhere who's never heard the gospel of Christ and he's never had a chance to trust in Christ and believe? And people come up with all kinds of ideas. There's all kinds of stories that are given. And some people that have converted to Christianity are, are giving testimonies of, of such ideas where Jesus is directly coming to him in a dream or people are coming and angels are speaking to them and preaching the gospel to them, and we have no real legitimate reason to believe any of these stories. The truth is, if there was a person on an island, and for some reason, the man's always on an island. He's never on, you know, a normal continent. He's on an island somewhere. Um, if there was a man on an island that would believe upon the gospel, if it was presented to him, the Lord would send someone to him. The Lord would send a missionary. The Lord would send an evangelist. And he would bring him to faith in Christ Jesus. He would present the gospel to him that he could hear the reality of his sin and see hope in Christ Jesus. The Lord loves his sheep. The Lord gathers his sheep to himself. But the reality is many men desire not the Lord Jesus Christ. Men in their natural state desire not to turn to Christ Jesus. And so Jesus is giving this parable to give an explanation regarding what he said earlier, regarding concealing this truth from certain people, no longer practicing his ministry in the same way. His ministry from this point on is going to very much be focused around his disciples, and not just his, his 12 disciples, but this other group that will be around him. He, he's not going to um, walk about in the ways in which he did before. He's going to be interacting in parables with the greater public, and so they will not have full understanding of what he's saying so let's look back at this parable and use this as our foundation of understanding what Jesus is saying within this passage. He says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. The purpose of a lamp is to reveal light, is to shine light. It wouldn't make any sense for someone to go through the trouble of gathering a lamp putting oil in it and lighting the oil and then to go and to cover it or to go and to put something on top of it. If you were to go and to do that, you would put out the light. Or if you would go and just merely hide the light, what's the purpose of even burning the oil? It makes no sense at all. Which of you would go to the store and buy some light bulbs and then go and paint all of them in a dark color so that no light shine through and then go and install them in your house and turn on the light switch. Why pay for the electricity? Why pay for the light bulb? It makes no sense at all to do that. You're paying for the light bulb, you're paying for the electricity, but you're receiving no light for it, from it. And so no one would do that. Um, and neither should we understand this as well as far as Jesus, even in his concealment, he is revealing. Even in the concealment, 
there's revelation that is happening. The light of God will reveal and be revealed. So even when Jesus is talking about concealing from others in these parables, he's refusing to grant them an interpretation. Jesus is revealing something about them even in that. Jesus is revealing something about the truth of God even in the concealing of this truth from certain people. And he's revealing the heart of man. He's revealing what is there, that man's heart is deceived. Man's heart is desperately wicked. And God is judging men. The judgment of God happens even in this life. Judgment of God is not something that only happens whenever someone dies. And then they stand before the Lord. And the totality of what they have done in their life is displayed before the Lord. And the Lord judges them. That does happen. That will happen. That is a guarantee. I pray and I hope that you realize that. But God passes judgment on people even in this life, even now in this life. And that's what's happening here with these people. They have heard Jesus preaching. They have heard the truth of God, and they're refusing to believe it. They are self-righteous people. They don't want to hear the gospel of Christ Jesus. We've seen Pharisees who were so holy themselves that they were looking down upon Jesus. They felt themselves to be so righteous that they were judging the Son of God. If this was a teacher, he would know what kind of woman he is. The, she is. You remember he, they, they said that of him. They, they were judging him. Now, he knew their thoughts. They didn't realize that he knew that until he began to speak to them. God is judging these people. Jesus is judging these people at this time. This is very much a part of his revelation. This is something that is being revealed, even though it is something that is being concealed. He is displaying something about himself. And ultimately, all of this will be revealed in time. Jesus is revealing who are his and who are not his, who are children of God and who are not children of God. Because people can put on shows People can put on shows for times in their life. People can put on shows for years at times. Judas is one who did that. J.C. Ryle makes these points on this passage. He says this, These verses form a practical application of the famous parable of the sower. They are intended to nail and clench in our minds the mighty lesson which the parable contains. They deserved special attention of all true-hearted hearers of the gospel of Christ, And that's the emphasis of this, this passage, that the light of God will reveal and it will be revealed. And the emphasis is here upon hearing. What kind of a hearer are you? What kind of a hearer are you? Are you one who hears well and you listen? Are you one who hears and you merely look for what is going to justify what you already desire to be true, and you're going to dismiss anything that you hear that does not fall in line of what you already believe to be true about yourself. So we're going to see two things about the light of God. Two things about the light of God, and I think this is very much tied into this parable of the sower as the seed was going out, and it was going out into these various soils, you remember, it was the same seed that was going out. He wasn't, the sower wasn't grabbing certain seed to put over here on the road and certain seed to put on the rocky ground. He wasn't putting certain seed over here on the area where the weeds grew up and certain seed over here on the good soil. 
the word of God was going out. The light of God was being displayed there. That's the same idea of the seeds going out. That is the light of God going out. That is the gospel being proclaimed, the word of God being declared. And that same word is being declared, but the heart of the person is going to determine what happens to that seed. The heart of the person is going to determine what happens once the person hears that truth. The question you must ask yourself is, where is my heart? What kind of a hearer am I? The light of God is going to go forth, and it's going to display itself. And it's displaying itself even in those who are hard-hearted, even in those whose hearts have been hardened by God, even in those who the Lord is allowing to walk headlong into their sin, those who are continuing to walk into that which they desire, the Lord is revealing, revealing even there, revealing even in that. It's our introduction. I think that verse 16 is, is a good introduction. That parable very much sets up the stage for what we have for the two points that I want to emphasize in this passage. And the first is the light of God in judgment the light of God in judgment, that God is going to display his glory. God is going to display truths of his word, even in the judgment of men, even in this life, even in the concealing of truth, where the Lord says, okay, you would have it your way. You would continue to walk in your rebellion. You would continue to refuse to repent of your sin. You would continue to refuse to recognize and worship the true God, you would refuse to turn and to trust upon the gospel. But your heart will be hardened. Your eyes will be blinded even more than they are now so that you will be revealed in what you really are. Your heart will be displayed. So there will be no question in the mind of others where you stand. Secondly, we see the light of God in salvation, that light that goes forward that seed that was thrown out and it landed upon the good soil began to germinate, it began to grow, and the roots went down. The roots went down deep into the soil. It was good soil. And it was, the, the, the plant grew up and it ultimately produced fruit. The same is true. In this passage, we have this idea of light. Those who hear those who are hearing rightly, those who are rightly considering what the Word of God says, those who are being affected by the Word of God and the light of God in salvation, that that light is shining forth into the heart of God's people. And they've been affected. They are being affected because of the work of God. And that light is displaying the glories of God to his people. It has been revealed and it is being revealed. Let's look at that first point, the light of God in the judgment. Jesus says in verse 17 and 18, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. You know, there's something very disappointing that this happened in these past few years, and I'd say most especially over this past decade. The reality is that there's many Christian artists, or at least they declared themselves to be Christian artists, that had influenced me greatly in my early 20s and, and on into my 30s, and I'd say even 
even, even into much of my adult life, I've been affected by the words that are written and sung by some of these bands. And there's been a change in our culture in more recent times. There are, there, are certain, there are certain ideas, there are certain beliefs about men and women, certain ideas about biblical sexuality, that if you do not toe the line on these things, there is going to be a consequence. There's going to be a cost. And what's happened as times have changed, as things have, have occurred in our culture, as the, we could be honest on this, the heart of our culture is actually being displayed. These, we, we had been um, denying the seventh commandment in very many ways within this culture for a very long time. We had been denying biblical marriage for many, many years within this culture, and it's been allowed to continue to its logical conclusion, basically, is what I think is happening here within our culture. God is allowing people to walk to the logical conclusion of the sin that they have been accepting and, and walking in. And there's a great many of these Christian artists that I still think on these songs, but it's, I don't hear them the same way at these times because there's a great many of these artists that over the past 10 years have walked away from the faith, have said, I'm no longer a Christian or I can't accept these realities anymore. And it's been on this particular issue that they've not been willing to stand strong on. It's been on this particular issue that many have realized there's going to be a cost. There's relationships that are going to be affected if I don't toe the line on this. There are contracts that I'm not going to get if I don't toe the line on this. And the reality is what was already there is being revealed at this time. And so as God is, is judging a nation, as God is judging a person even in this life, there are truths about the person's heart. There are truths about the, the culture that are being revealed at that time. And that's very much something that's happening here and that we've seen happening in many of these so-called Christian artists. They, 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 they sang certain truths for many years, but now they are professing something that is so much different. And what's very, even more ironic, what I find to be very strange, is that some of these artists are openly declaring themselves not to be Christians. Some of these artists are, are openly defaming Christ, defaming the church of Christ, judging the church of Christ by a standard that is not contained within the word of God. But yet they continue to go and sing these same Christian songs. Uh, some of these songs are, are commuting, uh, communicating even Calvinistic theology, and they, they walk in this tension of singing something they absolutely don't believe. Well, I think they're getting paid for it. I think there's a motivation for, for doing this because there aren't many places where you can go and make a lot of money singing liberal Christian songs. That's just not a market at this point. It may be in a little bit. But in these situations, it's not as though this is someone who was unregenerate. It's not as though this is someone who was a true follower of Christ and then they lost their salvation. It's not as though this person, the Lord had opened their eyes, changed their heart, and given them life. And then the Spirit just left them and went away and left them. No, these are people who were not saved. These are people who had never been regenerate. These are people who had never been saved. And the difficulties of life the cost of following Jesus, the cost of the cross, 
was more than they were desiring to go after. They went after these things for perhaps many different reasons. Perhaps they had an emotional experience. Perhaps they had a religious experience. Perhaps they had an idea that Christianity would grant them certain things. That's why our gospel presentations must be thorough. They must be uh, communicating, first and foremost, what man's problem is. That we are sinful, we have broken God's law. They must communicate what Jesus has done, that Jesus has taken upon himself the fullness of the consequences of sin, that people can have life, that they can be born again, that they can walk in obedience to God. But you don't have a promise, as many will teach. You don't have a promise, as many will emphasize and use passages out of context, that you have the promise of wealth, or you have the promise of health, or you have the promise of prosperity. You can see what happened to most of the apostles. Most of the apostles died in martyrdom. We see that early on, even in Acts, we see Stephen. Stephen martyred very early on. This is the cost of following Jesus. The cost in our culture, if we're honest, are not that great. The costs for following Christ are are small in comparison to what so many have to pay even now. And what's happening in these times when there is more pressure, when there is more persecution, when the culture is beginning to change and no longer is the culture respecting Christianity, no longer is the culture giving any social credibility to someone who is a member of the church. In fact, it's costing you. It's costing you your career. It's costing you uh, the place where you can live. It's costing you comfort. It's costing you ease. The people who aren't really Christians have much less of a tendency to claim the name of Jesus because there is no social benefit for them. God is revealing, even in these times, truth about these people. God is revealing because he has been revealing God has revealed himself within his creation. Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. We are without excuse. None of us can say, I didn't know that stealing was wrong. None of us can say that I didn't know that lying is wrong. You may come to a point in your life where your conscience is so seared that you make so many justifications on why theft was appropriate in your life at this point. You may come to a place where your conscience is so seared and you justify all manner of lying, of slandering, You may come to a place where you justify all manner of breaking the seventh commandment. Remember the seventh commandment is do not commit adultery. But it's not just to be understood as someone breaking their marriage vow. It's to be understood that Jesus has given, God has given a sexual ethic which is between one man and one woman. And it is to be in marriage and a holy union till death they part. That is how that's to be understood. That is how we are to understand the seventh commandment. You can make all manner of reasons why you don't need to follow that. All manner of reasons why this person you love doesn't agree with it. So you can make an exception here or there. But that doesn't change the fact that it was revealed. 
your conscience may become seared. Your conscience may be affected. Your conscience may be damaged, though you walk continually in your sin. God is revealing himself through his law, that law that I mentioned that is here in the creation. He has revealed himself there. The light is shining from the creation and it is declaring his glory. Romans 2, 14 through 16, it says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, where their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on, the, on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus as I said, you don't need a Bible to tell you that stealing is wrong. You don't need a Bible to tell you that you must worship God. The creation declares that reality. And we will be judged on that. Men and women will be judged on that. God is revealing even now what is in the heart of man. Is being declared, is being displayed in what is there. And man walking headlong in his sin. That's the sad state. That's the, the sad reality of natural man. Natural man finds the requirements of the gospel too free. And he finds the law to be too low. Natural man looks to the gospel and he sees not the greatness of his own sin. And he sees not the greatness of Christ. Here's the reality, dear friends, that what Jesus offers, natural man finds to be insufficient because natural man wants the world. What the gospel requires, natural man finds to be too great because he sees not the seriousness of his own sin. He sees not the greatness of his own sin. Even though it is declared, it is declared in the creation itself. So natural man must see the seriousness of his sin. And until he sees this, until he recognizes it, until he looks to what God has even displayed in the creation, until he sees the ways in which he has fallen short, he is blinded to the necessity of the gospel. He is blinded to the need of Christ Jesus. Even though this man will go to funeral after funeral in his life, and he will see that men live and men die and men take nothing with them when they die. Nothing is taken with them. There's no U-Haul truck on the back of the hurts. Nothing is going with the person. Nothing is buried. I know you see that in Egypt. Where all, these, all these items, all these treasures are, are buried in the tomb. They're all still sitting there. The pharaohs aren't using them. They're, they're of no benefit. So natural man will go to funeral after funeral in his life and he will see this reality and he will continue to chase after the things of this world. He will continue to chase after and grasp after that which is not eternal, which is merely temporal. He will continue to chase after that which is insufficient, which will in no way benefit him when he stands before the Lord. Romans 8 says this, beginning in verse 6. It says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is 
hostile to God. It does not submit itself to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That is the sad reality and state. And God is judging us, even through the light that is being demonstrated. That will be displayed is being displayed now, and it will be displayed in the great judgment when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Were you not warned, dear friend? Did you not hear? Was the law of God not proclaimed to you many times over, and you found reason after reason why you were sufficient? Was the word of God not proclaimed to you week after week, and you continued to justify yourself? You continue to content yourself in your own worldly religion. You continue to look at this person and find a fault in them to justify you to be where you are. You continue to look at that person and say, at least I'm not like this person. After all, nobody's perfect. There is not a Friday night that we go downtown to do street evangelism that we don't have someone give the justification for their sin. Nobody's perfect as though any courtroom in this country would allow you to give such a defense, as though you could break any law and stand before a judge and say, nobody's perfect. Many people break the law. Many people run stop signs. Judge, haven't you ever broken the law? Haven't you ever sped? Haven't you ever run a stop sign? It's not a defense in any place, in anywhere, and yet natural man will continually go and grab that defense. Such a man is being blinded at that time. Such a man is being blinded, even though in this world it's illogical and it makes no sense. In consideration with the word of God, it would in no way justify you before God. Natural man clings to such a defense. Natural man to likewise will will cling to his own righteous actions, his own self-righteous actions. Look at the good things that I've done in my life. Look at the ways in which I've, I've done this particular religious action. Look at how I've gone to church this many times. Look at how I've given alms to the poor. Look at how I've given to this ministry or that ministry. Look at how I've chosen not to do this or that thing. Such a defense wouldn't work in a courtroom in this country. You stand before the judge and say, look, I've done this good thing, that good thing. I've done this good thing. It's good that you did that. That doesn't help you. You broke the law. No, it will all be brought to light. Even that which is being concealed now, even men whose eyes are blinded, even now, it will be revealed to them. On that last day, it will be revealed to them even in the time of judgment. First Corinthians 4 and verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. How many men think that nobody is looking, that I can continue in this action? We see see it come out. We're, We're seeing various banks that are failing at this time, and there's people that have been fudging the numbers at some of these banks. There's people who have been lying about this or that. Well, maybe no one will notice, and no one will notice. And then when accounting, you've got to keep doing that same thing over and over and over. And then it becomes overwhelmingly obvious that you're fudging the numbers. You're lying. What you're saying isn't, isn't a reality. 
and it isn't true, and then it becomes displayed. It's open for all to see. That happens to people in this life. They're displayed to be liars. They're displayed that their confession is not that which is true. But even if something is not revealed in this life, it will be revealed in the last day. There's nothing that you can hide from the Lord. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. You can look to the left. You can look to the right. You can delete files. You can do this, that, and the other thing to try to cover up your tracks. You cannot erase this truth from the mind of God. God knows this reality. He will bring it before you. And if you die in your sin, if you die in, in rebellion to God, the judgment of God will fall upon you. He will judge you justly. He will not judge you by a worldly standard. He will judge you by his perfect standard. Standard, you must ask yourself, by what standard? What standard is the Lord going to use? He's going to use his holy and his righteous standard. Luke 8 and 18, or rather 7, Luke 8 and 17 says, Nothing hidden, there is nothing hidden that will not be made manifest, nor anything secret that will be not known and come to the light. It will all be revealed in the judgment of God. He will reveal all of it. If not in this life, ultimately in the life to come. So you must take care how you hear. You, you must take care to listen. Not interpreting God's word through your own standard. Not interpreting God's word through your own pragmatism. Not interpreting God's word through your own self-righteousness. Judas heard the teaching of Christ many times over. Even the interpretation of these parables was being revealed to Judas. Judas was a fraud. Judas had no faith. Judas put on a show for many, many years. There are many who will hear and who will hear and who will hear, but they do not listen the light of God will display judgment on them in, at that time. But secondly, we see the light of God in salvation. Light of God in salvation. The, the, the end is not judgment. The end for those who hear. The end for those who listen. The end for those who, who respond rightly. Who hear the preached word of God, who hear the, the declaration of the law of God declared as it is in the creation, declared from the word of God. And hear it rightly such that they see its seriousness, such that they see the ways in which they're falling short. And they respond. The light of God. There's the light of God in salvation. In those people, there's the light of God displaying the glories of Christ. Yes, it is great. Yes, my sin is great, but Christ is greater. And that is the beautiful joy that we are able to sing in so many of these beautiful hymns. That is the theme that flows, and I hope you see this, that is flowing through so many of these psalms that we have been singing in more recent days. Luke 17 and 18 says, For nothing hidden, there's nothing hidden that will not be made manifest, nor anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given, 
and from the one who has, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Take care, dear friends, how you hear. John MacArthur makes this point. He says, but while listening to other people has temporal value, listening to God has eternal significance. There is a general call that goes out. There is a general call, I pray, that is going out each and every Lord's Day from this pulpit. There is a general call that should be going out of every sermon that is ever ever preached. And that same gospel is going out, just as the example of the parable of the four soils, where that same seed was going outward, and it was falling upon the different soils. It was falling upon the road. It was falling upon the rocky soil. It was falling upon the soil with the weeds, and it was falling upon the good soil. And those are the many that will hear. Many are hearing these things. It's going outward, but depending on what kind of a heart that, that seed is landing in, it affects what happens with that seed. There are those that are so hardened. Their hearts have so been affected. They're so calloused. Their consciences are so seared that that gospel goes upon it and it's just taken away by Satan. It's, it's just removed. Such a man can't even begin to realize why he would even need Christianity, why he would even need a Savior, why he would even need Christ. There are some that are preaching such things. Why would we even want to save your theology? A couple of Easter's back, a liberal Christian had written a blog, and they, they were writing about how it was so misogynistic that we had a religion where a man is saving everyone. How incredible. How, how incredible that the times of the day are affecting even the interpretation of the, sisters, of the, of the scriptures I mean, the hoops you would have to jump through to in some way make any sense out of the scriptures and the gospel in understanding that Jesus isn't the Savior. Jesus isn't the one who laid down his life for his people. The same gospel is being declared. The ears of the people are hearing these truths as they are being declared. But few are listening. If you are considering these truths, few are considering the, the consequences of God's existence. God's existence is declared in the glory. It's declared the glory of God is displayed in the creation. There's consequences to this. God exists. I am made in the image of God. I am a creature made by God. He is due worship. He is due worship. That is a consequence of God's existence. But so if you recognize this, so if you see this rightly, it's more comfortable, it's easier to make a God fashioned after your own image, for man to go and to work as, as the idolater worked, as Isaiah spoke of the idolater was, who was going and grabbing wood and working upon the wood and chopping up the wood to make for himself an idol that he would carry around and partway through, he was getting cold, so he goes and he throws some wood on the fire to warm himself, and he's working some more and creating this idol, and uh, I'm getting hungry, you know, he's getting famished, so he goes and puts some more wood on the fire, and he goes and makes some food for himself. That man doesn't recognize this, this same block of wood here that you're bowing down and worshiping, the same block of wood that you're bowing down and saying, thank you for saving me, is the same wood that you were using to warm yourself. 
the same wood that you were using to cook even your own food on. That's the foolishness of worshiping and serving the creation, that which is pointing to God, that which is not God. You are declaring to be God and treating as God. This world cannot do for you what only the Lord can do. This world is no Messiah at all. It is a facade of a Messiah. Christ Jesus is the only means that God has given whereby we can be saved. There's a consequence in the declaration of God's law all around us, in the declaration of God's law even in the creation, the declaration of God's law that is, is proclaimed within the word of God, that is proclaimed within the scriptures. And if you consider this, if you consider the consequence of this, that I have broken the law of God, I have sinned against an eternal God, there is an eternal consequence for what I have done. There, there, is, there is a great consequence for this. This must be atoned for. This must be dealt with. There is a debt that is owed. I cannot pay this. There's a great consequence for the work of Christ. That we should respond rightly to this in seeing our sin and seeing the ways in which we've broken God's law. That there is the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Lord has granted us his son. He has come and he's dwelt among us. The word of God has come forward. Christ Jesus, one who is fully God and fully man. The Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the law in every way. He never broke it, unlike you and unlike me. There's a consequence to this. There must be in the mind of one who has the light of the gospel, whose eyes have been opened. There must be a consequence for this on your part. It must, it must affect you. It must, it must change you. What is a religion where you would merely do what you would have done anyway if you had not even been a Christian? What kind of a religion is that? What true effect is that? How, how, how has Christ affected you? The Son of God who has existed for eternity, brought the world into existence, came down and dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, died as a propitiation for our sins, was resurrected. So you could live the exact way that you would live had he never come? That you could live the exact way had, had you never even been granted the word of God? Now there's a consequence to this. There's a consequence to this. So it is so, so central that this is declared rightly, that, that this is proclaimed in a true manner. That this light that Jesus speaks of here, this light that is revealed to the people, that is declared in a way that is clear, that is, that is consistent, that there must be a centrality of this. There are so many things that people can do when they are gathered together in groups. And it is a sad, sad reality that there has been an enticement of so many to gather together for the mere purpose of, of various kinds of entertainment. I won't even go into the, the many ways in which we have entertainment that is happening on the Lord's Day when we are gathered together for the purpose of worshiping God, gathered together 
to hear the Word of God, to, to read the Word of God, to, to, to sing the Word of God. God has granted you life. The Lord God has given you life if he has, in fact, given you life. It must be displayed in that which is proclaimed. There must be a, a centrality even in this, that they must hear this reality. Jesus gives this warning, take care how you hear. Take care how you hear. Verse 18 we must be taking care that truth is that which is proclaimed. It must be truth that is proclaimed within the scriptures. It must be consistent with what the scriptures say. For so long in church history, there, there was a veil in so many places. There are times, there are, are centuries where in you, people would gather together in churches and they would be walking through services in languages the people didn't speak, walking through entire services in, in Latin, the people could not hear, no. The word good news must be preached. Romans 10, 11 through 15, Paul makes this important point. He says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. The centrality and the importance of this preaching, the centrality and the importance of this good news, so that this is the light of God that is going forward. This is the light that is being declared about Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, the very light of the world we have throughout the creation, the evidence of God, but not sufficient evidence is given in the creation whereby you can be saved. And it is only through that special revelation, it is only through that which is contained within the scriptures that you can come to that knowledge. And it is crucial that we must be grounded in this. It is crucial that we must be grounded in desiring and seeing the light that is there. Geldenhus makes this point. He says, because it is so necessary for his followers to be light bearers, he commands them to see that they hear correctly that they listen carefully to his word with full attention and with a steadfast conviction. The preaching of the word must bear good fruit in the heart and the life of each and all of them. If not, the results will be fatal. Those who do not pay heed to his word will not go unpunished, while those who listen to him with a believing, surrendered, and obedient heart will be given a deeper and more intensive insight into spiritual life and into his word. The indifferent and disobedient ones will lose even the little measure of spiritual knowledge and joy of life which they possess. Their hearts and lives will become darker and poorer. Take care how you hear. Take care how you, you listen to the word of God. 
Be mindful of these things. Be mindful of this reality that you live for a time, that God has given you this opportunity that you may display his glory even now, that you may even in this life turn to Christ Jesus and believe upon him. Oh, that you would see the emptiness and the foolishness and the the hopelessness of, of living for self that you would see the beauty and the glory of Christ Jesus. You would see the beauty and the glory of the word of God, that he is even blessing us each and every Lord's Day to gather together and to hear his word. He's blessing us each and every Lord's Day to gather together to to sing the word of God, to to pray the word of God, to, to hear even the doctrines of the church taught. And how it is a shame It is a shame for the Lord's people to neglect the Lord's day, to neglect these things that are primary, these things that are of such great importance, the ways in which our culture places such little importance on what happens on the Lord's day. The ways in which the culture will be be calling you over. There are things of greater importance that you can do on the Lord's day. There are so many sporting events that you could be a part of and you could be gathering into. The enticements are there. The enticements are great. But you must be careful. You just must take care how you listen. Take care how you hear. How can you hear? If you are not gathered on the Lord's Day, I understand that there's opportunity and there are people who aren't here. There's opportunities even for for the word of God to be streamed and people to access it at that time. And those are good things as a stewardship that you can take part in. But to intentionally absent yourself on the Lord's Day from the worship of God, to go and to partake in worldly activities is destructive to you as a Christian. As a parent, it is destructive to your family. You're, You're instructing your family, and that that is contrary to the word of God. You are saying that instead of going to worship the risen Lord, that that we are confessing, died for our sins, and has granted us life, whose spirit is within us, who, who we believe is going to resurrect our bodies one day, we think it is more important to go and to play soccer, to play football for this activity than it is to go and to worship this Lord has given us life we are teaching something at those times we are instructing at those times we are influential in the lives of our children not just in what we say but we are influential in the things that we do and is it important dear friends the importance is here on here for to take care how we hear it's important to be engaged on the lord's day Satan will give you every manner of distraction. Satan will give you every excuse possible. Your heart will tell you this and that and the other thing is of more importance at this time. Oh, the ways in which the conversations that come up in the middle of worship that could so easily be put forward at another time. The importance of the people that are gathered. Do you see what we're doing? Do you see what's happening even now? 
that, that we have a, an eschatological hope that, that what's happening right now, we are gathering together and we are looking forward that the saints gathered together. Even now we could look around and I could say tongue, tribe, nation, all these different, we have different ethnicities, different people, different cultures. Many of you are from different countries. Now, many churches can't say that, and it's not to speak as though we're something special. We live in the city of Houston, but there is something that is communicated very specifically here through the people of God that are gathered together for the purpose of worshiping Christ because of Christ Jesus, because of what he has done, because of the light of the gospel has so shone in their hearts that they have been affected this is a means the Lord uses. This is what we call an ordinary means of grace that is something that, that is distinct, that is important. This, this most important declaration that is there, this most important de- declaring of light that is here, this time most especially when the Lord is desiring you to hear and to listen at these times, not just through what is even preached, Listen as you sing the songs. Consider the words that are there. Yes, some of them may be different musically. It may not be like a normal acoustic song. It may not be like a country western song. It may not be like a pop song. They're very much not like that. There is a learning curve to singing some of these. As we've gotten into some of these psalms, they're writing music around psalms. It is, that's more complicated. It's more difficult. But this is, we're actually singing the word of God at that point. I'm not an exclusive psalmist. But I think we should definitely seek to sing the psalms. Pay attention to what's in these songs. Reflect upon what, what you're singing. The things that you're declaring. Consider it. Don't, don't let your mind wander during these times. There's so many ways that our mind can wander see the beauty and the goodness of what is there. See these ordinary means. The Lord is using these times for the sanctification of his people and he's using their listening to do that. The hearing of these truths. Not just, not, not just hearing it and then, and then going on, but, but this listening. It is so important. We, we desire for you to read the Word of God. We, we desire for you to, as a family to gather together and to read the Word of God. We, we don't have any back there right now, but many times we'll have um, Bible reading plans where you can you know, systematically read through the Scriptures. We encourage you to do that. That is a good stewardship on your part. You have the Word of God in your language. You have it easily accessible in this, what we don't think of technology, but it is a technology. It's a technology that many people in history didn't have, and it's a book. And if we're honest, we have other technologies where we have the Word of God on them as well. We have access to the Word of God, so certainly we would be reading the Word of God, but you must understand, you must understand that that the teaching, the preaching, the gathering of the saints, the, the prayer the reading of scripture, the singing of hymns and songs and spiritual songs that the saints gathered together is especially used by the Lord for the sanctification of his people in a very particular and special way. And we must see it that way. The theological term we give to this is called ordinary means of grace. And it is in a, a different category from, from just the, the Bible reading that you do during the week. Not taking away from that. Not saying don't read the Bible. Not saying don't gather as a family. Absolutely. No one could say we don't say that. But what we're emphasizing here is the importance 
of the Lord's Day, the importance of the gathering of the saints and the ways the Lord uses that. My encouragement to you is to take care how you hear, to be considerate of what the Word of God says. One commentator, Robert Stein, says, he says, the person who has listened carefully to God's Word will understand even more clearly but the person who does not take heed to how he or she hears God's word will lose even that which they think they know. Careful hearing, which means heeding, results in greater understanding of God's revealed word. Careless hearing, a lack of heeding, results in a loss even of what has been heard, which is Jesus' point at the end of verse 18. Even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Look at the emphasis that is there. Even what he thinks that he has. He thinks that he has this. He believes that he has peace with God. He believes that he has uh, salvation. He believes that he will be saved of his sins. This is but what he thinks, for he has heard, but he has not heeded. He has heard, but he has not listened. But for those that hear, for those that hear the word of God, for those that see the greatness of God, even more will be given to them. Even more will be granted to them. Even more will be revealed to them. As the light of the God, the light of God as it goes forth, it reveals and it will be revealed. It is revealing. It is revealing even in that which is being concealed. It is revealing even in those that turn the other way and say, I will have nothing to do with this, even in those that the Lord is allowing to continue headlong in their sin, the Lord is revealing something about them. He's revealing their obstinance that was hidden for times previously. He's revealing the deadness of their hearts. Oh, dear friends, dear friends, consider this. Consider this reality. Where, where, where is your heart? Are you one who, who, who listens are you one who has heard the word of God? Are you one who has heard the proclamation of the gospel? Are you one who has heard what Jesus has done and you say, oh, I need Christ? Where would I be apart from the work of Jesus? I would be dead in my trespasses and sins. Where would I be apart from the grace of God? The wrath of God would be over me. No, the one who listens the one who hears and heeds, the one who hears rightly, will respond and will gain even, will be blessed even more. Oh, dear friends, where are you? Please, the, don't just hear a word and say, okay, it's just another sermon. It's just another point that's trying to be made. I have deep concern for you. I have deep care for you. I desire you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I desire you to be made right with him. I desire you to see the greatness and the seriousness of your sin. There is grace for you. There is grace for you if you will but see your sin, if you will but repent of it, if you will see the ways in which you violated God's law. There is grace for you. There is blessing for you. If you will but come to him and trust in him and believe and he will adopt you. That's our next passage. You will be adopted. You will be brought into the family of God. Heirs of Christ Jesus. 
an inheritance waiting for you in eternity more than the totality of this world could ever offer to you. It is there. If you will but come and trust in Christ, come to Christ while there is but time. Come to Christ while you even hear what you hear now. Come to Christ, dear friends, and have peace with God. Come to Christ and have joy everlasting.